podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On today's episode, I'd like to talk about the word access. The word access is an important one to myself, is important to my series, to my business, Wisconsin Music Ventures, and it was brought up on the last episode by Mr. Steve Burks uh, in that he was talking about how he was not born into a situation where he had a lot of access to a network of musicians or professionals who could help him him with his career. I would agree with that same line of thinking. Uh, I myself was not born into a family of musicians or business people or people who could guide me to where I am now. Um, I had to learn that for myself. Uh, access to resources, to uh, advisory, to anything that can help you as a musician or as a, as a business leader is sometimes something that you just have to learn. And that's okay because that makes you sometimes work harder. Some people are, are, you know, born into the families that have that already available. And some people are not. And, and either way, you know, you can, you can certainly do great in the industry either way. But as long as you're aware of where you're coming from and aware of how much harder you're going to have to work, if you are not born into that, um, you can certainly do well regardless. Uh, I was born in the Milwaukee area, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I'm still uh, still in the in the area, still living in the in Wauwatosa now, a suburb of Milwaukee, very very near to Milwaukee. I did not come from a, a childhood or a family that was well off. Um, far from it. Although I was extremely supported, and and I still am. Um, my family, you know, certainly did their best. They're a very blue collar family, very working class, and I do think that has always been to my advantage. I certainly knew the value of hard work at a very early age, um, and I, I very much um, subscribe to that idealism uh, of the you know work hard ethic, uh, no matter what I'm doing. Um, I became musical at a you know at a young age. I definitely realized that I had a musical ear when I was young, and um, people encouraged me to get into piano lessons because I was tra- starting to play it by ear when I was young. Uh, and then from there, went on to play French horn uh, because I just wanted a good, challenging instrument. I wanted to play a band instrument. From there, was led into uh, you know different programs like the Milwaukee Symphony or- Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra, and um, of course other high school programs. And, and then from there, studied music uh, at a college level, at a master's level. And so forth, and and I love being a part of uh, a, mu- a music scene in the area. And I have worked in music ever since. Um, I love it. Um, but what I have learned along the way uh, since getting into music as a youth um, is that I, you know, not coming from a, a very musical family. Although my mother played flute, um, she did not go into studying it. Um, you know, she played it in high school, and that was about it. 
Uh, she played it a little bit after high school, I should say, but um, but not super seriously as as many musicians might. Um, I you know I did not know what I needed to know. I but you know as as many other musicians do, and I you know for instance I was playing on an instrument on a French horn that was essentially like what I was told later a piece of garbage instrument. Um up through my junior year of high school and doing pretty well on it, given that. Um, but I didn't know that. My parents didn't know that. None of us really knew that, but we knew that it was affordable for me. Uh, we knew it was affordable for us in our situation. It wasn't until I was at a festival, uh, I think it was the National Youth Symphony Orchestra Festival in Sarasota, Florida, with the Milwaukee Symphony, um, where we were working with. Uh, uh, in a master class with a musician from the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra, I believe, uh, who basically told me, like, what the hell are you playing on right now? Um, like, you are at this level. I was a uh, principal horn in the Milwaukee Symphony at the time. And you were playing on this? Like, if you were going to take this seriously, you need to get something better. Like, you know, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know? I had done well enough to get that far in uh in music but I had no idea and no one around me was willing to have that conversation about how terrible the instrument was that I was playing in so I remember coming back from that and saying uh hey mom and dad um this guy said this about my instrument and you know from there we we did ask around and we did um scrounge up the money it took some loans and um know other family resources from my grandmother to get something nice enough that I could do you know college level auditions on for the next year uh, but that did make me look a little bit more competitive and serious as a musician for college auditions and then future playing but I didn't know my parents didn't know how are we going to know we didn't have the access to the information that Others might have. And probably that whole time, others knew that, but they didn't want to tell me. They didn't want to break it to me or my family how far behind I was on my knowledge of, of classical music, of horn music, of horn playing. And that was really disappointing. Other things I experienced along the way, um, you know, just... Beyond that, it was just always difficult to get into camps and uh, into other programs that other musicians my age could get into, no problem. They were always so expensive. To study with, with the teachers, the private teachers that some of my friends could, they were expensive. I have actually since met with um, one of the horn teachers and professors that I really wanted to study with as a student, as a high schooler. I was encouraged to work with him. He was so far out of my league uh, financially that there was no way. And I remember telling him that as an adult, and he was so disappointed to hear that. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me that? Why didn't, you know, I wish you would have told me that. We could have worked something out. And I said, well, why, you know, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing to say that I can't afford you. Who wants to do that? And I, I know for sure it was embarrassing because there are camps that I went to where 
my family said, we can go to this, but we can't afford the full price. Is there anything you can do to make the price work for us? And in one case, a camp that I went to for music, they said, well, maybe we can give you a price break if Allison does some, some work around the camp for us. And so that was the deal that we made. So at free times during the camp, I had to do other little chores around there while like my friends at the camp didn't have to. And do you know like what a um a blow to the ego that is when your friends get to do like just normal stuff and you're the one who can't because your family couldn't pay the full price for tuition. Um so yeah, it I, it is embarrassing or it was and I don't know that they would do that same thing currently. Um, but that at the time in the nineties, uh, was the way that system was working. And so, yes, at a certain point, it was embarrassing to ask for help. Um, the access wasn't always there and it was embarrassing to ask for anything. So access is a really big, uh, big word for me. And I want to try and make sure that people have it without needing to ask for it as much as possible. Um, that's why in our concert series, most of the events, 95% of the events, I would say, are free. And if they are not, they, I try and keep them very reasonably priced um, through the patron system because uh, I do want to have access available for anyone who can stop by. And I do want to have experiences made for people um, where they can feel free to st stop in and listen to the music, that they feel comfortable approaching the live music, no matter what it is or who is performing. Access is a big deal to me. Um, when I was in my early 20s, um, after school, after I got back home from college, uh, one of the early jobs that I had, actually a couple of the early jobs that I had, was in orchestra management. And, um, and probably the second or third orchestra-related positions that I had was being the executive director of an orchestra uh, not far from the Milwaukee area, but it was not Milwaukee. And, um, and I don't really know how or why I got this job. Well, actually, I think I do know why. It was a half-time executive director position, half-time salaried, which meant um, they really wanted a full-time executive director, but they couldn't afford to pay one. And this is why I was able to get, one at, get this position at a very young age. Um, I was in my early 20s at the time. Couldn't believe they let me have this position, but I did know enough about the symphony orchestra world. Um, what I didn't know was um, how, uh, how the area worked. I didn't know this particular county very well. Uh, and so one of the things that they made sure was on my to-do list right away, right at the forefront, was that I needed to get to know this community. Because if I didn't get to know the people, get to know the network in the area, I was not going to be able to do well there. So the president and founder of the orchestra made, it, made me his little project for a while. 
he would take me to all these different networking, networking events, take me to meet all of these different business leaders. And he introduced me. This was my access to the community. It was, it was imperative that I had a network. And I'm so glad that this was the number one priority for me when I, when I took this role, because until then, I might not have realized how important it was to have a network. Um, it wasn't until that was my primary charge in this role that I realized that. And once I realized what that, that wealth of people around me could do for me and my organization, that I, you know, I had no idea. It wasn't until then that I really prioritized meeting people and getting to know people in, in any business, in any walk of life, um, anyone around me who might be beneficial to me in any world, in any work. Um, so I am such a big proponent of meeting people, of networking, of learning who's out there, who can help me, who can help you. So access, once again, that is where I learned it. That is where I learned how valuable that is. It's also where I learned, you know, how different my growing up was from those around me. You know, when I was in the Milwaukee Youth, Milwaukee Youth Symphony, I, uh, and, and learning the ropes as a musician, as a, as a kid, um, I was around musicians. I was around young musicians whose parents were musicians, maybe more professional, or maybe who were aware of the professional music industry. And it did seem like they had a leg up because they just knew so much more. Um, and it, it, that did make me very jealous. Like, how do, you, how do you know how to do this? How did you get into this school? How did you get into this place? And it was because of their network in a lot of cases. Um, they also knew other things. They also had access to information. And they, oftentimes they had access to information because they had access to those people in their network. So I'm so grateful for this executive director position that I had that was half-time salaried. That was really, I mean, in the end, it wasn't a great fit because, wow, I was in over my head there at a very young age um, in a role that was, you know, it was meant for a full-time position, but couldn't pay that. And I mean, everyone was just doing their best, but I learned so much about networking and about access that I have taken that to heart in every work, every, every role that I've had since then. Um, from here, I'd like to hand over to uh, one of our Wisconsin Music Venture employees. This is Giselle Oliva. She is our Musician Experience Administrator, and she also has some, some backstory on access that she would like to share. So take it away, Giselle. Thank you, Allison. I am very excited to be a part of today's podcast episode because access is very important to me. And Allison and I have talked about this several times in the past related to our own lives because we share a lot of experiences, but also because we both feel passionate about accessibility for all. So a little bit about myself. I am from the south side of Milwaukee, born and bred here. I still live here. Um, and that alone has its own connotations. Um, we know that Milwaukee is very segregated. And 
I am also the daughter of immigrants, which also has its own connotations when when it comes to access and opportunity. So I have that going for me. <laughs> and um and so growing up, I mean, I knew my family um you know, hard workers, my both of my parents, I have always had enough just what I need. And and I always knew that you know, we weren't the richest of families. We couldn't afford the nicest of things. But I'm still grateful for my parents and all their work and support. Um, I mean, not just in music, but in anything that I've done. So my introduction to music. Um, I was seven years old. And um, I was in second or third grade. And through a community outreach program, um, through MISO, the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. So that's another thing Allison and I have in common. We both uh, participated in that. So this new program called Progressions, in which they invited kids from Milwaukee public schools to join this two-year program and learn how to play a string instrument. So um, violin, viola, cello, bass. And... I was lucky enough to be chosen for this, so I still remember my first meeting, um, or the first meeting we had with uh, the program leaders. It was an ice cream social, so that alone was very memorable to me as a (laughs) seven-year-old, and I I still remember how excited I was. Um, You know, as much as musicians are seen as I don't, I hate to put it this way, but really that not legitimate, um, pro, you know, it's, it's not a legitimate, legitimate profession. Um, still playing an instrument is kind of cool. And that's, I think that's a general feeling. Um, so I was very excited that I'd be learning to do this. Um, but also I was very nervous because I knew nothing about music. I did not, I, I, I had no idea how to play any instrument. I didn't know how to read music um, or even like the history, nothing. <laughs> All I knew is that at family gatherings, I love to dance to it. I love to sing to it. And that's about it. Um, so, yeah, which is also interesting because, um, you know, I, I'm Mexican. My family's Mexican. And in our culture, we love music because we love to dance and we love to party. But musicians and being a musician is not seen as something honorable or legitimate. It's not something you want to do necessarily, um, which, you know, is still is still an outlook that many people have. In fact, um, one of my coworkers, uh, Ben Harold, who um, takes care of our patronage program, he... Uh, he wrote a blog post where he briefly touches on this. Um, he didn't get his start in, or he, he didn't decide to become a full-time musician until later on in his life. So if you'd like to check that out, that's on our website. Um, beautifully written, by the way. And um, so that's on there if you'd like to check it out. So I was at this meeting, excited and nervous. My family is not musical. They didn't know anything about music, but they, they were also excited for me and this opportunity. So um, after this meeting, it was decided that I would play viola. And 
um, it's kind of interesting because when I tell people that, um, and then they realize that I've been playing viola ever since, um, it's maybe surprising because I've stuck to it for, what is it now, um, 14 years, <laughs> or maybe more now, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I stuck to it, it really feels, you know, I don't want to get too into this, but I, I think the viola was definitely meant for me, and I was meant for the viola, <laughs> so proud violist, and um, so after this meeting, I, I got chosen to play viola. Um, with Maiso, it was always very clear to me, and the the people that worked there always made sure that it was clear to anyone, not just me, that music would never be an obstacle. Um, it would never determine my involvement in the program, whether I was able to do things or not. And even as a young girl, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember that feeling of relief when I was told that and how exciting that was for me. Um, they're just so great with that and they have the resources to do it. And above all, they actually do it <laughs> and they they make sure that this is a clear message to to families. So really, if it weren't for their resources, I I mean, I wouldn't have been a part of this program. My family would not have been able to afford it. It would, you know, it would have just been another expense that is unnecessary. But, um, you know, I was able to do it because they recognize that there are so many kids that would love this opportunity, but financially can't afford it. So they made it happen. And my years there, I played with kids who, you know, were more privileged financially. So uh, growing up, I also wanted to do the music camps and the festivals like Allison did. However, unlike Allison, I never I never really had a real conversation with my parents about, is this possible? How can we make this work so I can go? Um, I always knew in the back of my head it was a great opportunity to become a better player or, you know, have more fun through music because I had friends that would go to these. However, as a young kid, I always knew you know what? It's not even worth it. It's not going to happen. Um, I just, I didn't want to put my parents in a position where they'd feel disappointed because they couldn't provide. Um, and maybe I, I also didn't want to feel disappointed because I couldn't. So I just avoided the situation altogether and just never had a conversation with my parents. Also, I think, you know, the cult, cultural barrier, um, camps are, are, are an interesting um, experience in American culture um, and other cultures as well, but um, it's just not something that my parents grew up with. So it, that's alone, that alone is very different, and I think it would have been weird to explain to them. Yeah, so I'm staying at this place far away with a bunch of strangers, and we're going to play music. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> That would have been difficult to explain to them. Um, so I just, like I said, I just never brought it up. I heard great things about it. Um, I also never got the opportunity to work with advanced teachers. I am so grateful for all the teachers that were made available to me through MISO. And um, 
and they were amazing. And I still think about them to this day. I'm very close to some of them still. And, um, how, you know, I also, you know, with these kids that I, I made friends with in the program, they tell me about their teachers and the things they'd be doing um, in their lessons. And I often compare that to my own experience um, in lessons. And they were, I mean, they were very different, of course, because different, you know, the teachers were definitely more advanced. And um, along with that, I never had a teacher who was was a true violist. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that a lot of violists um, or teachers who teach viola are primarily violinists who teach viola. Um, however, you know, in the string world, violas are a whole different beast and really require their own techniques, um, their own skill set. You even have to hold it differently and play differently than a violin. So I, in, you know, before high school and during high school, I didn't get the opportunity to work with a true violist, <laughs> um, which is fine. You know, um, everything happens for a reason, I think. So I'm, like I said, I'm grateful for the all the things that I learned with my teachers through my so. And, you know, this during my whole years there, so I, after high school, you kind of graduate the program as well. So, um, I had to figure out almost everything on my own. Um, when it came to finances, um, my parents, you know, my son made it easy to work that out. Um, however, you know, doing the, the, like, practicing the, the concerts, the dress rehearsals, you know, the extra stuff, that was all me. Um, I, my parents you know, they don't know anything about music. So, um, that was definitely all on me. And also when it came to finding an instrument, um, I also relate to Allison's experience with that. (laughs) So I I graduated high school. I went to college for music at UW Oshkosh and, um, I was into my second semester there and my viola teacher was amazing. She, is what we call a purebred violist. <laughs> and she transformed my playing completely. I totally feel like a violist now, <laughs> more so than I did before. Um, anyway, in my second semester, during one of my lessons, she very seriously told me, we need to talk. And those words just make anyone feel nervous. So I was very worried and thought it might have been something about my playing. Um or something I did wrong. (laughs) But then she said, we need to talk about your viola. And my heart kind of sank because the viola that I had been playing with, I believe I got my freshman year of high school. And it was an emotional process for my family because it was such a huge investment. I mean, we know, I mean, if you don't know, string instruments are very expensive. I mean, instruments in general, if you want a nice one, it's very expensive. Um, Violins, violas, you know, they're just naturally expensive as it is. Sure, you can buy one on Amazon for like 150 bucks, but you really get what you pay for. So, <laughs> um, so it was an emotional process for me because, and my family, um, because it was such a big investment. And I actually, at that time when I got it, I really strongly, I felt that 
it was the viola that I'd be playing with for the rest of my life. So that goes to show how much I knew about instruments back then. And <laughs> so, um, and the way, you know, my, my parents gifted it to me was just very exciting and very beautiful. It was a really nice experience for me. Um, and it was, you know, th- it was them telling me, we support you, we support your music, you know, keep playing. So my heart sank once she told me that I needed a new instrument, which, you know, for the record, I, I didn't, I didn't know that because, um, because in college I was playing with other people and I heard their instruments. I saw their instruments and they looked and heard very different than mine. Um, it's, I think it's just something I didn't want to accept or fully accept because I knew, I knew what it would mean to my family um, or maybe I just, I didn't want to break their hearts. <laughs> um, so, so I, I knew it was coming. Um, and for those of you that may not know, there is such thing as outgrowing your instrument. Um, after some time, you know, your instrument can only do so much for your playing. And when you're really trying to advance as a musician, um, you're looking for what more can I do? Is it, you know, via your sound? Um, like, what more can this instrument do? And sometimes an instrument just can't do more than what it's already been doing. So um, I knew that I needed an instrument to really progress in my playing. I mean, I was in college. I was doing college-level playing. Um, so I, it was time. And, and thankfully, my teacher guided me through the process. Um, you know, this time around, I had someone telling me what to look for and not just look at, look at the prices. Um, I, when I first got that viola that I auditioned with, um, I was mostly just like, okay, what's the price? Is it reasonable? Um, does it sound good? Is it my size? And by sound good, it was very superficial. Like, okay, it has a nice sound. It's my size, whatever. That's the one. So that's essentially how I chose my, the viola I had. And this time around, I was thinking about the resonance. I was thinking about its warmth. It's, is it bright? Is it dark sounding? Is it kind of shimmery sounding? You know, just all these words to describe the sound that really, I mean, one, they demonstrated how much I had progressed as a player, but also it's just that extra step of, of analyzing an instrument. And that, you know, I didn't have that before. So um, my teacher really guided me through this process and gave me the right tools to look for an instrument. And at first it was a tough, a very tough conversation to have with my family because they knew it would be a, a big investment again, and even a bigger one <laughs> this time now that I needed a nicer one. Um, so, so, and yeah, I mean, it was difficult to have at first, but, uh, but eventually I told him, you know what, you have to trust me. I will I will find ways to make, you know, the payments work. Um in college there's so many scholarships available and and funding options. So um, you know, I made it work and I I told my family to trust me and they did. You know, at this point they still thought every viola, you know, they all sound the same. What why do you need another one? Why do you need one that costs more than this one? Because I was testing some and, you know, telling them to listen and they couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> so, you know, I just had to tell them, trust me, 
I will make it work. And I was very determined. So, you know, this process of not coming from a musical family and having to figure things out on your own really makes you want to work harder for things when you really want them because you know it's the only way. <laughs> um, you're not going to have someone that's going to come in and help you step by step. Um, so it, it makes you work hard if you really want it. Um, and I mean, some might argue it's really what, you know, the American way is or the American dream, just working hard for what you want. Uh, so, so that was my viola. And, you know, one day I will eventually grow, outgrow the viola that I have now, which kind of breaks my heart too, because I've grown so attached to it. Um, but that's, that's the way it is. I mean, we grow as people, we need different sounds. So in case you didn't know that about instruments, it's a little fun fact. Um, and yeah, I mean, even even while I was searching for a viola, <laughs> I I got so much help, obviously, from my teacher. But the the person that I work with to find the viola, or the luthier that I worked with, um, she owns her own shop, and she actually she was my teacher in progressions when I first started out for like one year, um, very briefly, um, not even one year, maybe just a semester. So it was very brief, and she now owns her own shop in Milwaukee. And um, she she knew where my you know where I was coming from, and she is amazing. She made you know made it work for me, despite the fact that it may not have benefited her business. She took a chance on me to be you know to make things work, and. You know, really, my life is a series of, or my career this far, it's a series of people who believe in me, one, believe in me, two, are so understanding and just open doors for me because, you know, they see something in me or, you know, they see that I work hard. Um, I hope, I hope that's what they see. <laughs> um, and I'm just so grateful for every single person in my life. Um, and, you know, when it comes to music and, you know, in general, of course, but in music specifically, I've just been so blessed to come across kind people. And I have so many mentors now because I decided to keep going. Definitely there was times when I thought, OK, you know, this music thing just is not for me. In fact, right after college, I didn't go into music right away. I did something completely different in the medical field. <laughs> and now looking back, it's crazy that I did that. But, you know, sometimes you just need to do those things to find your way back. Um, and doing that actually made me want to work harder for, um, I guess, my dream. So. So, yeah, I mean, it's up to people who have been given opportunities or have this privilege of being able to open doors to do it for others. And that's essentially what we're doing with Wisconsin Music Ventures, which I'm so glad to be a part of. And once again, thank you for having me on this podcast. Thank you, Giselle, for offering that great insight on your own experiences with Access. I really appreciate it. And um, I wanted to mention one other thing. Uh, I am actually currently involved in this great conversation group 
put together by 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. I have done a lot with them. I'm a big supporter of theirs. They do amazing things for our Milwaukee area community. And um, I've been involved in their own music education planning and task force. Um, They have this podcast out currently. It's a newer one called By Every Measure. It's a six-part series. I really encourage you to listen to it. Um, It's a conversation piece about how the Black community in the Milwaukee area has um, really been affected because of their race and because of their history here, um, how they have been treated differently in our community and what we can maybe do to solve some of those issues. It's just a, a great way to have a conversation about racial dynamics. And again, the word access comes up so many times in this conversation piece as well. And I'm again reminded of my own upbringing. I loved growing up in Washington Heights, Milwaukee. I'm still very close friends with a lot of the the girls that I grew up with there. Um, And, you know, it was just such an extraordinary experience. It was one of the few neighborhoods, and it still is one of the few neighborhoods in Milwaukee that is not segregated. It is very diverse. Um, it's, you know, my, my friends that I'm still close with to this day come from all sorts of backgrounds, you know, Mexican, Black, all, you know, we are all very close-knit and we had no idea that the world around us, the city around us, around that neighborhood was so segregated. We had no idea. Our school was so mixed, so diverse. Uh, and, and this is just what we knew. We, we just knew each other. Um, that this whole By Every Measure podcast is very fascinating to me. And I'm always very interested in speaking about um, racial disparities and, um, and just gender and, you know, sexual orientation and, and other income disparity kind of things, too. Because I grew up, as I said before, in a working class family. I grew up around such a diverse area. I, I love talking about these things, and those will come through in our podcast as they relate to music as well. And I think you may have heard that in Steve Burke's episode. The next one with Alicia Dominguez, she's going to be talking about that as well. Um, I want to make sure that we, we learn these lessons and, and have these conversations as they, they revolve around the music business too. So um, please, uh, you know, feel free to shoot us questions or topics that you would like to have addressed in maybe some of these uh, solo shows as we do them, or maybe questions that you would like to have us ask our guests. I'm very open and receptive to anything that helps um, start conversations about these topics. They're, they're sometimes tough topics to talk about, but they're also necessary. So um, thanks for listening today. Have a great rest of your day, your week, wherever you may be, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Our featured patron for today's episode is, would you believe it, Elsa Nysak and Chris Wolf. They are patrons. They were the OG patrons of Wisconsin Music Ventures. And not only that, Elsa is a bassoon player who I have known since my Milwaukee Youth Symphony days. We were friends there. We continue to be friends. We play together in the same Woodwooden Quintet. And um, she's been a huge supporter of ours, obviously. For over a year now, and I'm so grateful to have her still in my life, even since we were young musicians together. So 
Thank you, Elsa and Chris from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I appreciate your support. The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.